You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. All things that were created were created through our Jesus. And he grabbed this little girl by the hand and told the dead to get up. You know what that was? It was a dress rehearsal. Because one day you're going to be asleep and I'm going to be asleep and we're going to be in some cold, clammy grave. And the Bible says the Son of God is going to speak the same way. He's going to say, all right, it's time. Gabriel, blow the horn. And then he's going to say to you and to me, get up, get up. Are you assured in your eternity? Do you know where you're headed after your time on this earth is over? We all know that we won't be here forever. So what are you doing to prepare for what's next? Today in his message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know you need to start investing in what matters most, God's promise of eternity. The promises of the world will only serve to let you down a path of death and destruction. Build your life on a promise that will never be broken from a creator who loves you more than anything. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark, chapter 5, as he continues his message. It's not too late. I'm trying to put myself in this dad's sandals. Here he is. Man, I just saw a woman healed. I just saw a miracle done. I just saw Jesus do what I have believed all along he could do, and this is why I'm trusting him with my daughter. And now I'm told that she died, and it's too late. These contrary voices came to the heartbroken father and just like cold water poured on the fire of his faith. Now, when this happens, and I want to tell you, I don't want to speak anything negative over you, but I am going to tell you the truth. When it happens, and it will, when you're believing God for something, the enemy is wont to slip in and try to give you a negative report discourage your faith, knock the wind out of you, make you want to give up, make you want to walk away. Because he knows if you hang in there that sometimes it is darkest before the light breaks through. Sometimes you go through the deepest part of the valley before the rainbow appears in the sky. This is the way that it works. A battle, a negative report is not the final say. That's why I'm calling this, it's not too late. Can I tell you a little secret? It's never over till God has had his say. It's never over until God has had his say. When this happens to us, we have a choice, and you're gonna have this choice over and over and over again throughout your Christian life. Here's the choice. Whose report am I gonna believe? And I'll tell you, it makes a, a huge difference in your future whose report you believe. Just ask Israel, the first generation. The 12 spies went over. They came back. Ten of them said, we can't defeat the giants. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers. And all of Israel believed them but two men. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can defeat them. Israel chose to believe the negative report, and they died in the sand. Their bones bleached white in the wilderness. They never tasted the fruit. They never crossed over the Jordan. They never stepped into what God had for them. And you know what did it to them? Which report they decided to believe. Mm -mm. I'm going to tell you, this is Christianity in the raw here. 
This is Christianity. There's voices. There's two kinds of voices talking to you all the time. The negative voice of the devil, the, de- the negative report, or the positive report of God. They're both always talking. The people giving you the negative report often mean well. They do. I've had people give me negative reports who meant well. Pastor Jeff, I hate to tell you. I love you. But here's what i got to tell you about this. And it's this negative report. But here's what it's wise to ask when you get a negative report. Anybody in here ever gotten one? Here's what it's wise to ask. When that person near you who might mean well, when they give you the negative report, here's what you ought to ask. Is this report you're giving me, is it flowing from the Holy Spirit after you have prayed about this? Or are you just shooting from the hip Speaking in the flesh, just giving me your almighty idea. I don't want your opinion. I want a word from God. Often the negative report comes from somebody who means well, but they're moving in the flesh. They're not operating in the Holy Ghost. They haven't prayed about it. I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the more picky I am about who I want around me. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about voices. You are the one in charge of what you listen to. God didn't give us ear lids, but he did give us the ability to walk away from a negative report. I mean, there's good people and there's negative people, and there's people who will encourage you and spur you on. There's people who will drag you down and negate you and marginalize you and steal your vision away from you. Here's this dad, his daughter's dying, and they come to him and they say, Don't bother the teacher anymore. It doesn't do you any good to go to God with this. You might as well hang up your prayer life. You might as well forget it and just walk away because she's died. It's too late. I'm going to say it again. It's never over until God has had his say. Flesh will tell you something's too late. But God may tell you, get ready for a resurrection. Get ready for me to do something, though it looks dead to you. What I find interesting here is it says that Jesus heard the words that were spoken. He heard the words that were spoken. He hears what people say to you. He watches what you listen to. It encourages me that Jesus heard it. You know what Jesus did? Jesus wheeled around and said, only believe. He negated, he he, he crossed out what the negative report was, And he said to this desperate father, he said, only believe. Believe. Now, if God hasn't given you a word, you may not have a right to believe. But if he's given you a word, if he's with you, if you've got a promise to stand on, then only believe. And it's not vacuous belief. It's not a leap into the dark. It's not an irrational stand. You're standing on a promise. He said virtually the same thing to Mary and Martha who were standing at their dead brother's tomb. And I love this. He said, didn't I say to you, they're sitting there saying, Lord, I can't roll that stone away. The problem, my brother, he stinketh. How many of you have ever had a problem that stinketh? You know you need a miracle when the problem stinketh. 
He, they said, he's been down there for four days. He stinketh. You don't want me to roll this stone away. It's embarrassing. I don't want that stench coming out. I'm embarrassed. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God on your problem? Didn't I tell you if you would believe? Well, when you believe, something you're believing for isn't yet there. Or why believe? If it's there, you don't need to believe. But if it's not there yet, how does something that is out there in promised land come here? Only believe. Only believe. And what is there will be reeled in here. And you will see with your natural eye the result of your initial believing. Say with me, I'll see the glory of God. See, if, if I'm walking in faith and standing on a promise, it is not useless faith. It is God's way of getting what is there here. So if I believe, I'm going to see the glory of God, not, not my problem destroying me, not my problem being uh, 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 irreconcilable or unfixable, but I'm going to see God's glory on that problem. I'm going to see his glory on the mess. Isn't that what he's saying? My experience is placing your faith in God. When you've got a problem, when you've got a mess, when you've got a, uh, something that, that only God can fix, if you place your faith in God, the Bible says your hope will never make you ashamed. I look out there at the world now, and I see all kinds of people with false hope, false faith, and the hope that they have does make them ashamed because what they're hoping for and believing for and expecting is not going to come because it's not based on the promises of God. It's based on some errant philosophy or some, some, um, um, some belief that has no foundation in God. And so their hope doesn't deliver, and it makes them ashamed. They say, well, it just didn't happen for me. But when your hope is based on a promise, and when Jesus says to you, only believe, only believe. I know she's dying, and I know she's dead, but I want you to just believe. Then the promise is you will see the glory of God break through on your problem. And that's been my experience. It may look like a mess for a while. It may stink for a while. It may look hopeless for a while. But if you believe and you stand on the promises of God, God somehow, some way, someday, in his unique way and fashion, places his glory and he works it together for the good. And that's why your hope will not leave you ashamed. Mm -mm 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 -mm. You know, I'm gonna tell you, if I didn't believe this, I'd never preach again. You wouldn't see me this Sunday. But I know this is true. I know this is the word of God. I know that my God exists, and I know that he honors faith. Now, a second thing jumps at me from this story, and I want you to hear this carefully. You may need to remove yourself from the presence of naysayers, doubters, and critics 
when you're believing God for something that is crucial. The Bible tells us that Jesus began in verse 37 of Mark 5, he began the process of choosing who would be around him for this miracle. He told the dad, I'm coming. Yeah, 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 you, you've told me that uh, you know, she's, uh, she's dead, and I get it, but I'm going to go to the house, and I'm going to visit. But look what it says. It says that Jesus immediately began to set apart and choose who was going to be with him for this miracle. He made some people step back, and he chose three to be with him. It says he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So here's Jesus saying, this is a miracle. I'm about to resurrect somebody from the dead. It's too sacred. It's too holy. It's too powerful. It's too meaningful. It's too deep. It's too special for just anybody to be around. I want people with me who can believe with me for this. Now, if Jesus did that, where in the world does that leave us? I'm going to tell you again, folks, it matters who you're listening to. It matters who's speaking into your life. Somebody's speaking into your life. Somebody's teaching you. Somebody's forming your thoughts and your opinions and your worldview. Somebody is discipling you. And you know what I've seen? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're being discipled by Christ. Just because you're a believer, you can still be saved and going to heaven, but not be apprenticed, discipled, taught by Jesus. I want you to notice Jesus said, I want those who will believe with me to be with me. Folks, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to from television. Be careful who you listen to who you read, who you allow to speak into your life. You know, Kathy and I have gotten where we just start every day with the Word of God. I don't want to start any other way. We started with the Word of God. I don't want anything else talking into my life. I pretty well decided that the television is crazy, baby. It's insane. It's a babble box. Do you know the millions of women allow every day? Oprah, to teach them? Or Dr. Phil? Or some other media personality, some pop culture figure, and they're not taught by Jesus? Jesus said, I want people with me. This is miracle time. I want people positive, full of faith. I'm going to select who's with me. Jesus knew that he was walking into a hornet's nest of unbelief. And so when they arrived at the house where the little girl lay dead, Mark records this. Jesus saw a tumult, an uproar, and those who wept and wailed loudly. It was a scene, a drama scene. The house was filled with people sobbing and wailing with unrestrained noise. It was a bad scene. Matthew mentions that there were hired flute players there. And Luke adds the detail that they were beating their chests. So you got flutes playing mournful songs. You got people beating their chests, wailing and yelling and screaming and crying. And what I found out digging into this is they were hired to do that. Hired mourners, 
Hired criers. I know people that could get that job. They'd like it. Hired to cry, hired to weep, hired to pitch a fit. I know people that could fit into that job. It would be their personality. The majority of the mourners were professionals. This is what they did. It's where they made their money. And this custom went all the way back past Jeremiah. It was that old among the Jewish people. Noise, tumult, flutes, crying. This is what greeted Jesus as he approached with this desperate dad, Jairus. Jesus immediately addressed this drama scene. And here's what he said. Stop it. The child's not dead, but is asleep. I'm going to tell you, sometimes Jesus stopped a storm. Sometimes he stopped unnecessary drama. Sometimes we need to stop a storm. Sometimes we need to stop unnecessary drama. In our homes, in our churches, at our jobs, just say, stop it. Settle down. Quit acting this way. This is not a tragedy. God's glory is going to be on it. Mom. The child's not dead but sleeps. Now, I read that. I said, was Jesus actually saying that this child was not dead but was only sleeping? No. And here's where the beauty of the synoptic gospels come in. If you only read Mark, you wouldn't know the answer to that question. But if you read Luke, Luke says in chapter 8, verse 55, that when Jesus took her by the hand and told her to get up, her spirit returned. The spirit departs when you die. Her spirit returned. So, no doubt, she was dead. Now, in telling the crowd she was only sleeping, Jesus was speaking as God. This is why he said, no, nah, she's asleep. She's not dead. He was speaking as God, who had total power over death and life. Only God can look at somebody dead and say, nah, only sleeping, because in just a minute, they're getting up. You know what? Paul called Christian dead people sleepers. What was he saying? They're going to get up someday. They're going to get up someday. And in front of the grief-stricken father, these mourners, these professionals, began to ridicule Jesus. The Greek language is very strong here. They broke into scornful, derisive laughing. They were laughing, mocking Jesus. Now, you know what the Bible says he did? He put them all out. What I like about it is this. He didn't react. He didn't get angry. He didn't defend himself. He didn't say, oh, yeah, well, come in here with me. I'll get her up right in front of you. He didn't say that. He said, get out. I'm going to say this in love now. Sometimes you have to say to somebody who's affecting your faith for a miracle, you know what, I love you, but when you're believing for a miracle, Thanks, but no thanks. I need faith here. I don't need people mocking me, ridiculing me, shooting me down, shooting my vision down. He put them outside. Now accompanied only with Peter, James, and John, and the mom, and the dad. He takes them into the room. 
and he sees the girl for the very first time. And this dad, after seeking Jesus in the crowd, after waiting while he dealt with the woman with the issue of blood, and after persevering through negative reports and the terrible way they treated Jesus in his house, the dad now was about to see the truth of the matter. And the Bible says Jesus reached down, took the little girl by the hand, Talitha Kumai, young maiden, get up. She's dead. And all the mourners knew it. With the mom and the dad standing there, can you imagine? Her eyes popped open. She sucked in a breath. She sat up. And the Bible says she stood up. And then the Bible says she began to walk. Don't you know those mourners outside were dumbstruck when this one who they had mocked and ridiculed just took her by the hand and said, get up. I guarantee you there was Pentecost that day. There was Pentecost that day. And I think they saw the parents before they ever saw her. I think they were doing cartwheels and jumping around and running around outside like they were crazy. Look at this. Their little girl raised from the dead. The Bible says that they were amazed. The five witnesses, here's how it describes it. They were amazed with great amazement. Let me just make that simple for you. Their jaws were dragging the ground and their eyes were popping out of their head, and they had nothing they could think to say. They're dumbstruck. What do we learn from this from the book of Mark about Jesus? Because I'm looking for Jesus in Mark. We're following Jesus through Mark. What do we learn here? Romans 14.9 says, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Here's what you learn. Our Jesus was a first century hippie walking around with long hair and a beard and blue eyes and blonde hair and sandals saying cool things. He was God. Now I'm going to say it again. He was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things that were created were created through our Jesus and he grabbed this little girl by the hand and told the dead to get up. And you know what that was? It was a dress rehearsal. Because one day you're going to be asleep and I'm going to be asleep and we're going to be in some cold, clammy grave. And the Bible says the Son of God is going to speak the same way. He's going to say, all right, it's time. Gabriel, blow the horn. And then he's going to say to you and to me, get up, get up, get up. It's not about Easter eggs. It's not about a bunny. It is about Jesus Christ rising from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, this little girl from the dead, and he's going to raise you from the dead and me. And Paul said, if that's not true, then we are of all men most to be pitied. But he said, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And so we close this by saying Jesus is the resurrection. He's the life. And you, my friend, are coming out of the grave someday. 
in your walk with Jesus, how strong is your faith? We all know that we have the power of God by accepting His grace, but do we take steps of faith on a daily basis for His glory? Today in his message, Pastor Jeff showed you the importance of living every day as a sacrifice for God's kingdom. It's not enough to rest in your relationship with Christ alone. You must take a step of faith every day that you're on this earth. Be a difference maker in the name of Jesus. If you're interested in learning about Hardwired, Diane has some things to share. For more teachings and information about this ministry, we encourage you to check out hardwired.org. Pastor Jeff Wickwire has many more messages there. You'll find them under the audio tab. This will surely help you be encouraged in the Word. Once again, that's hardwired.org. We want to invite you to come back again next time for another teaching from Pastor Jeff. Daniel has more on that, giving you something to look forward to. In your faith journey, have you ever been 100% sure of who Jesus is? No matter how sure you are, it's safe to say that we've all experienced moments of doubt. In the next installment of Hardwired, Pastor Jeff illustrates how you can always know that Jesus is who He says He is. The strength of your closeness with God is determined by how strong your faith is. Never give up on God and be renewed every day by the power of His saving grace. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Mark, so be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired.